You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul takes follow-up questions on Genesis chapter 25. I am delighted to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Assyria doesn't exist in the scenario that Abraham is in in the story, considering Asherim was just born in this very chapter. Can you help unpack how to read this moment where it seems like it's speaking to an audience that could not have been in Abraham's time, who's supposed to be reading back at this story? You hear the text. You do not control it. It controls you. It is written, katub, regrapte. Now, you as hearer have to make the effort to ask your questions, but to look for the text to answer them. And in my way, I use the word in preparation for. Let me go to an extreme. Two of the rivers that are named in Genesis 2, way back in Genesis 2, one of them is somehow heard of more often, the great river, Parat, Furat. But the other one, the Tigris, is, is very strange, especially that the author doesn't name the two other rivers. He's naming the Tigris. You see the parallelism between the use of Ashur here. You say Tigris. Tigris, my dear friend, does not come to the fore except in the fifth book before the last in the Hebrew canon, in the book of Daniel, but with an interesting story that finds its parallel in Jeremiah, mainly that Jeremiah throws a book in the Euphrates, and Daniel throws it in the Tigris. I mean, that is majestic. Notice the Tigris, geographically, is more to the east than the Euphrates. You're stretching all the way into Persia, and you see Daniel there. Now, a budding theologian will get excited, take notes, and then go tomorrow and teach it to his class to show off. Because I bet my life that this theologian is not saying the same thing that I'm saying. And this is how one has to be patient. And thus, it piqued your attention, your ear. As You see what I mean? You keep it in your mind. But you don't look for the solution, because for the solution, I had to jump with you to Daniel and Genesis 2 and so on. 
you just keep it as being strange. Later, slowly on, you begin to see Assyria, although Assyria is between the two rivers, if you know that, you already have way. But you have to know the entire scripture. If you repeat it to yourself, I mean, let me give you an example. We are Orthodox here. Like the monks and the nuns. Here, the entirety of the book of Psalms read to their hearing once a week. You know my joke when people like Richard Benner goes to Mount Athos and he was young and said, what is this business? Those old monks are sleeping during the reading. My dear friend, the monks don't need to listen. They know it by heart by now. So the reading for tonight is for you, not for the old monks. Okay. Now, when you know all that, the connections become clearer. I'm not saying you make your own connections. Sometimes I use this terminology, but it's very dangerous. You notice the connections made in the text, in the total text, by the author. And already the author, I mean, let me push my answer, because in a few chapters, you will hear about Joseph going to Egypt and brothers, then Jacob and so on. You are going to be talking about how they exiled themselves because they had famine in the land and then they went to Egypt to take bread, which Isaiah will criticize. You go to them for bread and chariots. But this total connection cannot be done unless you heard also Isaiah, where Assyria is very important. And why? Because in between the Torah, between Genesis and the prophets, is telling you in the law that the bread of life is God's teaching. It is not your bread. And when we get to Joseph, I'm going to show you how this appears in the story of Joseph, that it's his being the man of God saved the Hebrews and the Egyptians. That's something that people miss. And when we'll get that, I'm going to show you that he is the precursor, at least in the biblical narrative, of the suffering servant of Isaiah. It's amazing. And Joseph is majestic. More majestic than Moses, because Moses begins and ends before entering the land. But what do you hear at the end of the book of Joshua? And there they buried the bones of Joseph that they brought up with them from Egypt. Now, let's say you get to Exodus and they took the bones of Joseph. Okay, nice, because he asked them to, so that they would bury him at some point. And then you continue reading Narnia to see where they buried it. So, after Genesis, you have to wait for and fifth book, because it appears at its end, to hear again the bones of Joseph. So, for us, when someone is buried, 
is gone, disappeared. <laughs> it's not so in scripture. But it's not so because you remember, uh, you know, while walking in the cemetery. No, 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 no. I'm talking about text. If that story would not have been written at the end of the trust me, no one of us would have even fantasized it. And again, in Shechem is very important because he is the father of Ephraim, as you know. We'll get back to that importantly. Again, you know, I answer like this uh, scripturally. Otherwise, I'm answering a question that is in your mind, which is basically a curiosity. You want an answer to your question. Sometimes... I need to show you that your question is no question. It's just curiosity on your part. But we have to remember the great criticism, you know. Unless you know which question to ask the Bible, you will never get the correct answer. Thank you, Father Paul, for the answer and for the question. (laughs) Father Paul, in verse 8 with reference to Abraham, and then in verse 17, with reference to Ishmael, there's this expression, gathered to his peoples, and the word obviously in Hebrew is am, but usually you hear gathered to his fathers. My immediate reply, I mean, we can always check further than that. I give my educated guesses quickly because I know my Bible. I think by using these words, he is connecting their reality with all the other peoples. In other words, my answer rejoins my intro to the chapter, whereby the hearer has been hearing the names, some of them repeated from Genesis chapter 10. Some of them new here, but you are beyond this exceptionalism, you know, specific line of relationship. Now, the word fathers reflect this later reality I refer to, because fathers is like a genealogy. That would be my answer. In other words, the author wrote it the way he decided. And notice this Leom, if you check, it is found a few times in Leom as nations, which parallels Am. And Umma, you have the last word, which is Leumim. You have the word le'om, which means nations, and also imma, which is nation. The plural is ummim. It's a play on the ear of the original words. And then, by mentioning am, is something very interesting that, you know, they are ultimately peoples the way Israel is a people. You know how theologians like to differentiate between Goy, Goyim, and Am. But, as I mentioned earlier, let's take the 
inverse example, where Ezekiel in chapter 2 refers to the people Israel in the plural of Goim, which is very striking. Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel to a nation of rebels. Number one, the English has nation, obviously, of Goi. But what is more striking in the original, that he used the plural. Goim. So, to your ears, he's leveling completely between Israel as the Am of God and the Goim. And again, this will be repeated in Ezekiel chapter 16. In chapter 23, you have two sisters, but in chapter 16, you have three sisters. And the third one is Sodom, which is, uh, my gosh, I bet you all theologians, Jews and Christians, and all teachers of Sunday school do not like that chapter. And then the authors say, the sin of Jerusalem is greater than the sin of the older sister Samaria and the younger sister Sodom. He brings them together. It's a very disturbing chapter. But again, the text is the text. And to go back to my answer, that that is my educated answer, that on purpose he used that word. Again, the mention of the tomb, that it was in the cave, in the field of Ephraim the Hittite. And how many times I told you the Hittite are very important because they are the farthest possible nation in the scriptural Near East. And to push the issue, like now, you can ask me, so it's strange that at the beginning of Joshua, he is referred to Canaan, that the land of the Hittites, only the Hittites. Now, you can quote me other places where he mentioned other names. That's not my point. My point, he is diffusing in your mind this exceptionalism, especially geographical link to history made up by Judaism and Christianity, which is, doesn't make sense. I mean, modern scholarship has shown that. I mean, Jewish scholars and Christian scholars said, we, we have to just forget about this historicization. And uh, another example. So I like examples so that my general hearers would hear that it is not something passing that the authors do. You know, my conviction is there is nothing that is not intentional. Can you imagine how much you will be offended if your teacher will tell you, I think this sentence, Father Mark, has uh, no business in your paper. Uh, you must have slipped it while you were uh, uh, drinking a glass of Jim Beam and uh, watching TV. And you'll be offended. It's not a question of what I would be. It's a question of what would happen to the person who said it. But that's neither here nor there, Father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. You would be offended, and that's very important to remember.
The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.